Thank you. Please be seated. The text that's going to, I'm not going to expound the context of this text. I'm simply going to read it. It's found in John chapter 7, verse 7. This is a text that forms the basic uh, focus or concern that I want to speak about this morning. John chapter 7. Jesus said to his relatives, before he went up to the feast, in verse 7, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its deeds or works are evil. Now let's once again pray and ask for God's blessing on the ministry of this word. I have a title for the sermon. It's called A Sinless Christ in a Sinful World. Let's pray. Father, as we consider the mission of your beloved Son to come as a perfect, holy spotless, pure, impeccable person into this sinful world. Why he came, how he was received, and what the ultimate result of the whole thing is. We pray, dear God, that the Holy Spirit would shine light on these things, and that you would be glorified, and your Son magnified, and his gospel come in great power among us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now when God the Son became human, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, John says, he waded into the moral swamp of fallen humanity. What is referred to in this text as the world. So consider with me this morning the biblical story of the sinless Christ in a sinful world. This is the story of the greatest superhero of all time. Consider with me the reason that he came, a mission of mercy. The reaction of the sinful world to him. A reaction of hostility. And the ultimate result of his mission of mercy, which is a tragedy, the ruin and damnation of a fallen world. So first of all, consider with me. If you want if you want headings for it, you could have mercy, hostility, and tragedy. The story of a sinless Christ in a sinful world. First of all, the reason he came. Or you, could, you want three R's, I'll give you the reason, the reaction, and the result. 
They want three H's? Help, hate, and hell. The reason he came as a mission of mercy, he came to help. The reaction is a reaction of hate. And the result is hell. So first of all, why did God the Son venture into the midst? Why did he come down out of heaven and venture into the midst, the moral swamp of fallen mankind, the world? He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world did not know him. So, just that one text, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world did not know him, should tell us that in the New Testament, the word world is used with a variety of nuances. He was in the world, he was in the inhabited earth among the society of mankind and the world the entire universe was made by him and the world fallen humanity mankind generically or in general in the state of sin did not know him and then they, they said the Pharisees said behold the world is gone after him meaning society at large is gone after him so it can mean the universe or it can mean the inhabited earth or it can mean fallen humanity in the state of sin, or it can mean society at large. Well, in our context, I'm talking about it, and Jesus is talking about it, in reference to fallen humanity in the state of sin. Sinners, those in the state of sin, indiscriminately. The society of sinners, the society of fallen humanity. He waded into that moral swamp. And he, why did he do it? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was in the world. What did he come here for? Why would he leave heaven and glory and come into a place like this? Well, John tells us in John chapter 3, verses 16 to 21, what he was doing here. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 1.15, Faithful is the saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What's he doing here? He came on a rescue mission. He came to help. He came on a mission of mercy. To rescue sinners from their sin and from the wrath of God he came out of love and compassion. He came on a mission of grace. Came to help mankind. To give fallen humanity hope of salvation, deliverance, and escape from their sin and from the wrath of God. John chapter 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world, Now, first of all, God so loved the world. So doesn't mean, the word in the, in the original language doesn't mean so much. It's an adverb that means in this manner or in this way. So you could translate it God thus or God in this manner. God in this way loved the world. He loved fallen humanity. He loved sinners indiscriminately in the state of sin. For when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And while we're still weak, 
Christ died for the ungodly. This is how God loved fallen humanity, sinners indiscriminately, from every branch of the human race in the state of sin. God in this way loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him. Any sinner in the state of sin that believes in him from any branch of the human race irrespective of ethnicity not just for Jewish sinners but Gentile sinners. Any sinner, anyone in the state of sin who believes in the Lord Jesus, will not perish, but have eternal life. This is the way in which God demonstrated his love to fallen mankind indiscriminately in the state of sin. Because God in this way loved the world, that he sent his only son into the society of fallen mankind in order that anybody who believes in Jesus would not go to hell that he deserves to go to, but instead would go to heaven and the new heavens and earth and glory and have eternal life there. That's what he's doing here. Verse 17, For God sent not the Son into the world to judge the world. He didn't come into the society of fallen mankind in order to bring fallen mankind to judgment and to hell in his first coming. That's not why he came. He didn't come to bring upon them the justice and judgment and damnation that sinners in the state of sin deserve. That's not what he was doing here. But why? But that the world should be saved through him. He came on a mission of mercy, not to give people what they deserve, but to give them what they don't deserve. Grace, mercy, salvation, deliverance from their sin and from the wrath to come. He came to save sinners indiscriminately from every branch of the human race. That the world, fallen humanity, indiscriminately in the state of sin, would receive salvation. Jesus didn't come here to uh, destroy sinners. He came here to save sinners. Why did he wade into the moral swamp before fallen humanity? He came here on a rescue mission, folks. A mission of mercy. He that believes on him, that is, he that has saving faith in Jesus Christ, is not condemned. He that believes not has been condemned already because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light, Jesus Christ, is coming to the world. It's come into the society of fallen mankind. And men, sinners, in the state of sin, love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds, their behavior, Their works were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light. Everyone that does evil hates the light. 
Now, why would people hate exposure? Everyone that does evil hates the light and does not come to the light. Why not? Lest his works would be reproved. People in the state of sin know that what they're doing is wrong. And even if they've suppressed the light of nature and pushed down the voice of conscience, they know, they know that what they're doing and the way they're behaving is wrong, morally wrong. And they don't want it to be exposed. And they hate the light that exposes it. Christ is the light of the world. When he comes into the world, shines great light. And when you're near him, you see your own sinfulness. You see yourself for what you really are. You can't hide in the darkness next to his great light. He exposes the truth that your behavior is evil and that you do evil because you are evil. And you deserve to go to hell. You deserve the wrath of God. And people in the state of sin don't like having that said to them. And even less, they like having that exposed. And the light exposes it. And sinners in the state of sin hate it. They despise it. They don't like it. They don't want to have to put up with it. So you have God the Son, spotless, sinless, pure, honest, comes into the world of fallen mankind. Sinners in the state of sin, and he comes on a mission of mercy. Not to destroy them, but indiscriminately to rescue sinners from every branch of the human race from their sin. And how does he do it? He does it through his perfect life. He does it through his atoning death. He does it through the free offer of mercy to sinners. Come to me, he says to them, and I will give you rest. He calls them to repent and turn away from a wicked lifestyle of sin. And to trust in him and in him alone as their only hope of going to heaven. And in his perfect life, he provides all the virtue that any sinner from anywhere on earth needs to be accepted with God. And in his death on the cross, he provides all the atonement that any sinner needs to be pardoned by God for all of their sin. Jesus does everything that sinners need. And he offers himself freely to sinners. He came to rescue them. And he provided everything they need to be rescued. And he offers salvation, deliverance, rescue, heaven, eternal life to every and any sinner who believes in him. That is, who acknowledges that what the Bible says about him is true. And who personally and exclusively calls upon him and trusts in him and relies upon him to deliver them from their sin. Not trust in yourself, 
but trust in Him and in Him alone to deliver you from your sin. So, well, don't you have to do works? No, you have to believe. You have to trust in Jesus. Look what it says. It says, God in this way loved fallen humanity indiscriminately in the state of sin. He gave his only son that whosoever, whatever sinner in the state of sin believes in him would not perish. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. Call upon Jesus to save you. And he'll save you. No matter who you are, where you're from, how you've lived, what you've done, no matter how much you deserve to go to hell, you won't go to hell if you believe in the Lord Jesus. That's why he came. That's what he's doing here. That's the reason that the sinless Christ waded into the moral swamp of a sinful world. A mission of mercy. That's the first thing. Secondly, Consider with me the response, the reaction, the reaction of hostility that this sinful world had to Christ. A reaction of hate, of hostility to Jesus. John 7, 7. Jesus said to his brothers, who at that time had not yet believed in him, the world can't hate you, but me it hates Why does the sinful world hate the sinless Christ? This is the reason. Because I testify, I bear witness, I tell the truth about it, that its works are evil. Why do they hate him? They hate him because he exposes their evil deeds. That's why the world hates Jesus. It hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. He exposes the evil ways of fallen humanity in the state of sin. I I give you a couple of examples of Jesus doing this. At the beginning and at the end of his ministry, in accordance with his authority as the king, He cleansed the temple. And when he did, this is the kind of stuff he said to these people in Matthew 21, 12 and 13. And Jesus entered into the temple of God and cast out them that sold and bought in the temple. He overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of those that sold the doves. And he says to them, it's written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. They didn't like that. Didn't like it. They didn't like what he said about them. And later on, he had something to say to the religious leaders of that society. The religious establishment. The Pharisees and the scribes. And I'm just going to read a little portion of it. It's recorded in Matthew 23, and it goes on and on and on. I'm just going to read Matthew 23, verses 27 to 33. He says to the religious establishment, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whited graves, 
which outwardly appear beautiful, but inwardly are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you outwardly appear righteous to people, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the tombs of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we wouldn't have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. So you witness to yourselves that you are the sons of those that killed the prophets. Fill up the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you offspring of vipers. How will you escape the judgment of hell? They didn't like that. Told them they were snakes. Spiritual snakes. Vipers. Poisonous creatures. Sons of those that killed the prophets. He had something else to say to them too. And this was to people that initially had wanted to be his followers. And yet he said to them, you know, if you continue in my word, then you're truly my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Well, they didn't like that. They didn't like him telling, telling them that they were going to be made free. No, 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 no. We've never been anything but free. And he said, that's what you think. Because anybody that commits sin is the slave of sin. But if the Son makes you free, then you'll be really free. Well, they didn't like that. And the conversation went on, and he said to them, they said, well, God's our Father. And he said, God's not your Father, because if God were your Father, you'd act like this. Abraham's my Father. Nope, Abraham's not your Father, because if Abraham was your Father, you'd act like he did. And you don't act like Abraham. You want to know who your father is? I'm going to tell you, he says. You're of your father the devil. John 8, 44. And the lust of your father, it's your will to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own because he's a liar and the father of it. Because I say the truth, you don't believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I say the truth, why don't you believe me? He that is of God, hears the words of God. For this cause, you don't hear them because you're not of God. You're not of God. You think you're of God. You think you're children, spiritual children of God and Abraham, but you're not. You're the spiritual children of the devil. Because you act like the devil. Because you lie. And you hate and you murder. And you don't listen to the words of God. That's who your father really is. Well, let me tell you, they didn't like that. They didn't like being told that they were the devil's children and they acted like the devil because they were liars and they were filled with hate. And the Pharisees didn't like being told that they were hypocrites and they were on their way to hell. And they were outwardly appeared to be one thing, but inwardly they were really something else. And the people that were supposed to have charge of the temple didn't like the fact that he told them that their religious practices were corrupt, so corrupt that it was so offensive to God that they needed to get out of there because they were basically turned a house of worship into a den of robbers.
just like the scripture said they would. Me it hates because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. But there he is, testifying. How did they react? What did they think of him? How did they respond to him? Well, let's start with uh, John chapter 8. After he got finished telling them that they didn't hear the words of God because they weren't of God, in verse 48, they answered him. And what did they say? The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say well that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? You're a Samaritan. Your father's a Samaritan. Covered over the disgrace of your birth and you're demon possessed. Jesus said to him, I don't have a demon. I honor my father and you dishonor me. They hated him. They said, he, they said to Jesus' face that he was demon-possessed. Would you say that's hate speech? Tell him he's demon-possessed? And when they brought him before Pilate to accuse him, in Luke chapter 23, verse 2, they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man perverting our nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is a king. Now, they accused him of inciting rebellion against the government of Rome. And they said he was, he, he, he was teaching people that they shouldn't pay taxes to the occupying government of Rome. It was fomenting rebellion and insurrection against political authority. Was that true? It was a lie. And they knew it was a lie. They sent people to catch him in his talk. And they asked him, is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? And what did he say? No, you can't pay. That's not what he said. That's a lie. He said, show me the coin. Whose picture's on it? Caesar's. And he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. That's what he said. He wasn't inciting and fomenting rebellion and insurrection, and they knew it, and they didn't care. They made false accusations about him. They brought criminal charges against him that they knew were false. They twisted his words deliberately and intentionally because they hated him. They wanted him silenced. They wanted him canceled. They wanted him done and away with him. And then in John 18.30, it's recorded, 
What evil has he done? They answered and said, well, if he wasn't a criminal, we wouldn't have delivered him to you. What, what, what do you need? Specific charges? They treated John the Baptist the same way. In Matthew chapter 14, verses 3 to 5, same principle. Herod laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John said to him, it is not lawful, it's not morally right, in accordance with the law of God, for you to have her. And when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted John as a prophet. The wicked do not believe in freedom of speech. You are not allowed to say to Herod, you did something and are doing something morally wrong by having this, your brother's wife as your wife, it's morally wrong. He spoke truth to authority and he wound up in prison and Herod would have killed him if he could but he was afraid of what the people would do to him. Herod didn't believe in freedom of speech. The general principle is that proud, wicked, self-righteous human beings in the state of sin don't want to hear the truth about the way they act. Proverbs 15:12 says, a scorner loves not one that reproves him, neither will he go to the wise. Proverbs 9.8 says, don't reprove a scorner, lest he hate you. Proverbs 21.24 says, proud and haughty, scorner is his name, who deals in proud wrath. Their hatred of Christ was not derangement. It was completely and totally rational. No big surprise. They hated him and killed him because he told them openly that their behavior was evil. And they wanted that voice silenced. They wanted that light turned off. They wanted him canceled. They hated him with a venom. They wanted him dead. They vilified him. They demonized him. Actually, literally said that he was demon-possessed. And charged him falsely with insurrection, inciting rebellion. You're demon-possessed. You're a devil. You're a Samaritan. You're a criminal. You're blasphemous. You incite rebellion. You're an evildoer. That's what they did. That's how they expressed their hatred of Christ. You see it in the scripture? You understand why? Jesus said, It can't hate you, my dear brothers. It hates me. And the reason the world hates me is very straightforward. It's not irrational. It's not derangement. It's perfectly rational and reasonable. The world hates me 
because I testify about it, that its deeds are evil. I publicly expose the evil behavior of the world. And for this, they hate me. Right? Well, what is this? What's the outcome of this going to be? Well, it's true. They killed him. He's not in this world anymore. They silenced him. Put him to death. Crucified him. But that's not the end of the story. He didn't come here the first time to judge the world. The first time he came here was on a mission of mercy. He came here to rescue sinners from the state of sin indiscriminately. And he came here as a great light that exposed the evil of sinners' deeds and showed them why they need to be saved. They didn't want to see it. They hated him for it. And they responded with hostility that silenced them and put him to death. But what's the ultimate end? What's the result? The result, the outcome is a tragedy. This story ends with regard to the second coming of Christ. He's coming back to the world. And the second time that he comes, when he comes back, he's not coming back to rescue. He's coming back to judge. Observe. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 to 31. The times of ignorance, therefore, God overlooked. But now, right now, he commands men, human beings, that they should all everywhere repent. Turn away from evil deeds. Turn away from lying. Turn away from hating. Turn away from disobeying God Turn away from living in sin. Repent of it. Stop your wicked way of life. Put it away in repentance. And believe in the Lord Jesus. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world. He has appointed a day in which he will judge the world. The first time Jesus came, he didn't come to destroy and judge the world and condemn the world. He came to rescue sinners. But when he comes back on the day of judgment, God has appointed that day when Jesus will return. And when he does, he will judge fallen mankind. He will judge everybody in the state of sin. He will judge them. Everyone will give account to him. He will judge the world in righteousness. And God will judge the world in righteousness. How? Through the man whom he has ordained. And who's that? Whereof, of which, he has given assurance to everybody, all mankind. How? In that he raised him from the dead. You want to know who's going to judge the world? Jesus Christ raised from the dead. God raised him from the dead. The world hated him. The world silenced him in this life. 
The world canceled him. The world killed him. And God raised him from the dead. His soul returned to his body and his body glorified, send it up into heaven where he sits right now and has been for the last 2,000 years on the throne reigning in glory in heaven. And he's coming back. And he's coming back to judge the world. And he's coming back to judge the world in righteousness. And he's coming back to send sinners in the state of sin into everlasting damnation and judgment and punishment in the lake of fire forever and ever. And this story is not going to end with the whole world being saved. But this story is going to end with the whole world in the state of sin being judged. It's going to end tragically. People that live and die in the state of sin, they will all be raised from the dead. And when they're raised from the dead, they'll stand before Jesus in judgment to give account. He's going to judge all mankind. He's going to judge the wicked and the righteous. going to take the wicked, separate them over here like the goats and the righteous, like the sheep. He's going to say to the righteous, come you blessed, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. And they'll go away to eternal life. But then he's going to judge the wicked. He's going to say to them, depart you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. They're going to go off. Body and soul. Everlasting punishment. In the lake of fire. Prepared for the devil and his angels. All the devil's children. All the demons and the devil. Are going into the lake of fire. And that's where they spend eternity. And when he comes back. He is going to judge the world. They're not going to get away with it. They're going to be held accountable. To Jesus. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? So this is the story of a sinless Christ in a sinful world. It's a story of mercy. That's the reason he came here. It's a story of hostility. That's the reaction it had to him. And it's a story of tragedy. The ultimate result is going to be that he's coming back. And when he does, he's going to judge all the wicked. They're going to be held accountable and they're going to be punished forever for their sin. Not going to get away with it. So what? Does that have any relevance to us, folks? Does that have any relevance to you sitting here this morning? Well, first of all, I mean, it has a lot of relevance. And I could probably spend another hour dealing with that, maybe more. I just want to summarize from Scripture some of the things that Jesus and the rest of the New Testament features with regard to, so what? I mean, this story of our sinless Christ in this sinful world, this story has relevance for us, dear people, has tremendous relevance for us. First of all, it calls upon us to fix our heart and our hope on the world to come. And so we should regard the hostility of the world as a blessing. Listen to this. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. He says, blessed are you 
when men will reproach you and persecute you and say all kind of evil against you falsely for my sake. How should we respond? Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For in this way, they persecuted the prophets that were before you. Fix your heart and your hope on the world to come. So that when you experience what Christ experienced, when the world hates you and speaks all kind of evil about you falsely, falsely accuses you of all kinds of things because you're a Christian, don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Don't be afraid. Don't cower. Because your heart is fixed on the world to come. See it for what it is. This is bringing you great reward and glory. And respond emotionally to the reality of the heavenly reward that awaits you. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Because your reward is great in heaven. Fix your heart and your hope on the world to come. And if you do, you will regard the hostility of the world as a blessing. Secondly, recognize this, dear Christian. You no longer belong to the world. Look what Jesus said in John 15, the text that we read this morning. I wanted to get the context of it. Now, listen to this. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, you've got to face the fact and recognize the fact that you know longer belong to the world. Once you did, when you were in the state of sin, you were in the world and of the world. But you're not anymore. And you're not of the world even though you're still in the world because Jesus chose you out of the world. And he took you out of the state of sin and put you into a state of grace. And you don't belong anymore. You're not of the world anymore. So don't compromise in order to fit in with sinners where you don't belong anymore. You're never going to fit in with those that you used to fit in with when you were unsaved. And the reason you're not going to fit in with them anymore is because you're not of the world anymore. And they know it. So you've got to embrace that. You're not of the world because he chose you out of the world. And that's why the world hates you. You're no longer in a state of sin with them. Third thing. From Romans chapter 12, verses 19 to 21. People are going to speak evil about you. People are going to do evil things to you. Don't avenge yourselves, beloved. Don't get even with people that do evil to you. But defer 
to God's wrath, to his wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I'll recompense, says the Lord. When Jesus comes back, all the recompense is going to take place. You don't have to do it. Don't recompense evil for evil. If they speak evil about you, try to find something nice to say about them. If they do evil to you, try to find something good to do to them and for them in return for the evil they did to you. When they cast out your name as evil, pray for them that God would bless them. When they want to use you out of spite, pray for them that God would heal them and forgive them. Don't have a spirit of vengeance and get even and fight fire with fire and rancor with rancor and hate with hate. No, no, no. Overcome evil, Paul says, with good. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Faith that trusts in Christ. Faith that defers to the wrath of God. If your enemy hungers, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Because in doing this, you're going to heap coals of fire on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't avenge yourselves, beloved. Don't act like the world acts. Don't revile people that revile you. Don't do that. Well, they did it for doesn't matter. Of course they hate and revile and tell lies about you. Don't tell lies about them in return. Don't do it. Overcome evil with good. Don't act like the world acts. It's not the right way. It's the wrong way. It's an ungodly way. It's a worldly way. It's not the gospel Christian way. It's not what Jesus said. When he was reviled, he didn't revile again. And finally, one last thing by way of warning. So it goes in a little different vein. But don't let the sinful pleasures of the world entice you, folks. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, 17, we read this. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And that's not talking about gospel love for sinners and wanting sinners to be saved. We are supposed to love them in that sense. But we're not supposed to love them in the sense that we want to be like them and we want to enjoy the things that they, the sinful things that they enjoy and do the sinful things that they do. Because if any man loves the world in that sense... The love of the Father is not in him. And this is the explanation. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the vain glory of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. Don't be enticed by the sinful pleasures of the world. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride, vain, glory and arrogance of life. 
Don't let those things entice your heart. We are in the world. And we see the things that the world does. Sinful things. For them, pleasurable, delightful things. What for us used to be pleasurable, delightful things when we were in the state of sin. Don't go back to living like that. Don't be enticed by that. You can't have it both ways. You can't have God and sin reigning in your heart. So don't let the world entice you. Don't let it threaten you. Don't let it intimidate you. Don't let it cower you or destroy you. Don't adopt worldly methods to get even for the things that have been wrongly done to you and said about you. Fix your heart and hope on the world to come. Recognize that you don't belong to the world anymore. Return good for evil done to you. And don't let the sinful pleasures of the world entice you. May God be pleased to bless his holy word and make it profitable to our hearts. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your beloved son and his mission of mercy and how you've rescued us in that mission of mercy. Blessed be your name. We know that we live in a sinful society under the influence large influence and growing influence of people in the state of sin. We pray, Lord, that as we live in the world, we would take to heart what your holy word says and live accordingly. Help us to focus our hope and our hearts on the world to come when things are done wrongly to us, not to respond with wickedness and kind. Help us, Lord, to realize there's a good reason why we don't belong to the world anymore and thank you for delivering us from it. And Lord, when we're facing temptations and enticements from the world and the things that we used to do when we were in the world of which we are now ashamed, pray that you would keep us from falling into those sins and disgracing the testimony of our church and of Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, for people like us, like we once were, sinners, still in this state of sin. Father, you had mercy on us and you delivered us. Please, dear God, deliver them also. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord be pleased to bless the ministry of his holy word. Now let me bring a word of blessing as we depart. The Lord bless you and keep you.